Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, podcast 449. As we take a deep dive, get ready for next year to stop those mistakes, those blunders that are very old school, that are hurting your sales, your ability to persuade, your ability to lead. We're done with the cheesy high lactose mistakes. Things have changed. Times have changed. You need to change. As my earlier mentor Jim Rohn said, for things to change, you must change. And for things to get better, you must get better. Let me add something to that. For your income to change, you must change. For your income to get better, you must get better. It's true with persuasion influence. You want to be a better influencer, you have to become better. We're going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts today. So buckle up, get ready, as we talk about the things you should have learned in school. Just finished up doing a three-day leadership course. I had to do it via Zoom. Dang it. <laughs> I get it. We'll talk a little about that today. There's a time and place for Zoom. It's not the same. It's different. Is it the new normal? Well, it's going to be part of the new normal. With any leadership course I teach, one of the first questions that gets people to start thinking, and and sometimes it's hard to come up with an answer. I'm like, why in the world should somebody follow you? You're the leader. Why should they follow you? And they have to think, well, they should because those aren't good answers. You have to think about it. If you're in a leadership role, why should people follow you? That's one of the first questions. And you have to realize to be a true leader, you have to lead, uh, do the math, everyone. Not just the people like you. Because with most leadership, you don't get to choose the people that you lead. Sometimes they get to choose you. I mean, they can decide if they're going to stay there and work or not or do whatever you're leading them to do. But why should people follow you, number one? And remember, number two, true leadership is leading everyone, not just the people that leave like you, think like you. You have to lead everyone. So welcome back. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. You can find us under Maximize Influence on YouTube, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and great podcasters near you. I've always wanted to say that. But anyway, there you go. Check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com for everything you need from the archives to taking your free Persuasion IQ test. There, you could also get on my email list, and those on the email list will be getting a special gift this week. So let's get into it. Do something a little bit different. We're going to do our blunder. Don't, don't, don't. Our article. And our listener email. Oh, boy. All at once. So Leonard from Ontario sent me an article. And he wants to play fact or fiction. So, Leonard, for sending that in, you get a free subscription to InfluenceUniversity.com, the gold version. That's our advanced training for persuasion, influence, negotiation. It goes from A to Z. Everything you need to know to take your persuasion and influence to the next level. So, Leonard sent me this blog, 24 Sales Mistakes to Avoid Next Year and Beyond, by Jeff Hoffman. He wants to play a little fact or fiction here. Let's go through it. Let's talk about it. And see if you agree with these, disagree, maybe you're a neutral, let's talk about it. Some great information here. And of course, the link will be available at MaximizeYourInfluence.com under this podcast. So let's go through some of them. The first one's discounting the importance of the discovery call. He calls it the new close. If you don't ask the right question, the deal will just stop. 
Questions like, what do you want to improve? When do you need the problem solved? When do you need the cost reduction? Things you need to know about the prospect before you can move on to see if it's even a good fit. And I'm going to say true to this. We assume too much that we know what they need. Even if we knew 100% what they need, your prospect still needs to be heard, to be listened to, for someone to take notes, for them to feel that you understand their problem. That's critical. Let me add to this too, that one of the big changes too, it used to be in sales A to Z, right? You'd just show up and you go from A, this is our company, this is what we do, product for services. Over 90%, I can't remember the exact number, but this is over 90% of your prospects. I've already researched you, your company, your product, your service. You need to start the persuasion or sales process where they are. And the only way you can do that is through a discovery call. So 100%, that is a fact. You have to do it. You have to spend the time. Even if you knew, which you never do, 100% of their wants and needs, you still have to go through this process so they feel understood and that you know everything you need to know to help them make a great decision. So agree. Next one is closing only once. That's been a mistake since the beginning of time. Very rare that somebody in sales and persuasion asks too many times. It's very, very rare. And they talk about using soft closes throughout the process so you can gauge their temperature. So for most people in sales and persuasion, the answer is absolutely. You take the first no at face value. You got to keep going. You got to keep figuring out the key here is to be persistent, but not a pain in the butt. <laughs> People appreciate your great persistence. They're busy. You're doing it the right way. You don't come across as a pain in the butt. So you can ask more often. In fact, a while back at a jewelry store, testing them out, seeing how persuasive they are. I'm like, oh, it's too expensive. They said, okay, and they put it away. <laughs> Most of these no's are knee-jerk reactions. You have to dig a little deeper. What do I call peel the onion back? So absolutely, that's a fact. We can be more persistent. Next one, not asking for what you want. He talks about there are two reasons reps don't state what they want from a prospect. They might be afraid of rejection, so they soften their language to minimize the chances of hearing no. Now, the no's okay sometimes. You got to find out ahead of time, set the rules ahead of time, figure out who the decision makers ahead of time, let them know you're not going to do a presentation if everyone's not going to be in the room or on the Zoom or on the conference call. That's why you get the agreement up front so you don't waste everyone's time and you can be really blunt about it. So that's definitely true, definitely a fact. Even if ahead of time you say, look, by the end of this presentation, either way, a yes or a no, that's setting the ground rules. That's asking for what you want. That's going to save you a lot of time. All right, so I'm agreeing with these. This is good. Next one, using statements instead of questions. Basically, closes should always be phrased as questions, not statements. This works best because questions require direct answers. Statements don't. I mean, you want to hear, yes, I can, or no, I can't, or you're going to waste a lot of time. So when you've built trust and they accept you as the expert, you can't really ask too many questions. And let me add, great persuaders, great salespeople ask three times more questions. It guides the conversation. They always get answered. Even if it's mentally, questions get answered. And you got to practice answering questions with a question. That's one thing I always work with persuaders, asking more questions and training your brain to answer a question with a question. Again, when they accept you the expert and there's trust, they want the questions. You want your doctor to answer your questions. You want your lawyer to ask you questions so you can make good decisions together. Next one, not getting personal buy-in from a prospect. Basically not getting prospects to buy in for personal gain, what they're going to get out of it. 
His examples of personal gain, how can we make you look good in the process? How can we make your boss and team look good? Those type of things. Agreed fact, we could do a lot better at this. I call us the WIFT. What's in it for them? What's in it for their department? What's in it for their company? So we can say what's in it for them, the team, the tribe, however you want to package that, because that's what moves people. There's nothing in it for them or their company or their department. There's really no reason to move forward. So getting that personal buy-in, finding what's in it for them. And as you go up the organization, this could be more about the organization. This could be more about the department. You need to find out about those. So absolutely. Next one is not creating a sense of urgency. And I'll add it's known as psychological reactance. I call it law of scarcity. A lot of people use it. A lot of people are creating a sense of urgency. It's just cheesy, bad, old school. I mean, furniture stores going out of business, last one left in your size, someone else is looking at it tonight, sale ends today, usually is not very believable. So I'm kind of in the middle on this one. It is used, abused, and overused. I mean, you still need to use it. There's no doubt about it, but people are creating a sense of urgency probably way too much. So I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Can I say half the persuaders out there don't use enough, and the other half use too much, too cheesy type sense of urgency? I guess that's going to be fact and fiction on that one. But let me add to this. If you're going to use urgency, it's got to be real. Too many people in the sales profession have blown it, nor no one believes the sale ends today, even though it does. <laughs> Too many people are like, well, all right, if you come back tomorrow, I'll give it to you. Don't do that. This is your profession. And every time you do that, it hurts the profession. So make sure it's real. Make sure it's believable, even though it's the truth. And, and it might be real, might not be believable. And let them know why. Why does the offer end next week? Well, we're not sure about supply chain issues. We're not sure about the cost of goods. Those are expected to go up. I could only take one person to coach a month because I don't have a lot of time. Let them know the why. And I would buffer it with some type of reward. Sure, you know, the sale ends today because it's the end of the month. But when you do it today, so there's your scarcity. I will double your data. I will double your minutes. I will fill in the blank. Reward. Those are my two cents on that one. That's the best way to do that. The next one is not embracing silence. Yeah, people are uncomfortable with silence. We've all heard the first one to talk loses. And let me add this. The reason we need to embrace the silence is when we don't, we keep talking. We start vomiting. We say too much. We start teaching the prospect that we're going to answer our own questions. In negotiation, we start negotiating with ourselves. That's the challenge. So I'm going to be in the middle of this one, fact and fiction. So we do need to embrace the silence because bad things happen when we don't. And there is a lot of truth that the first one to talk loses. But if everyone's been to the same school, then no one's talking to each other. <laughs> then it gets really awkward. So I've seen it both ways on this one. Some people embrace it too long. A lot of people don't. They start, again, negotiating or, or start saying too much. So I want to be right in the middle of this one. But let me add, too, if it does start getting awkward with the silence... It's okay to ask a question. If you're going to break the silence, do it with a question. I can see you're thinking about something. What exactly are you thinking about? So you don't lose control. You maintain control and you don't have to sit there for 30 minutes wondering if you should talk. Now understand this. This also depends on the complexity of the sale. Is it a 10-minute sale? Two-day, two-week, two-month, two-year? That changes the game on some of these. Next one is not knowing the prospect's decision criteria. You need to know that up front when you're doing your initial exam and you're talking to them. How do they make decisions? Who is the decision maker? 
From what I've seen, most people are pretty good on this one, but it can be a definite challenge if you don't know. You're just going right into it without finding out how exactly they make their decisions. Next one is closing before everyone is at the table. That would be negotiating with the wrong person is a challenge. And that goes back to the decision maker. I mean, you want to have the right stakeholders in the room. I agree. But I'm also in the middle of this one. If you can close somebody, that's going to help you close the next decision maker. You have to gauge that. You want to do it little steps at a time, close one or two, three, four people at a time or all at once. That's going to depend on your sales cycle. So I'm in the middle on that one. Next one is attempting to close someone through a third party. <laughs> I'm 100% agreement on this one to where you've blown it. You didn't find out about their decision-making process, the right people in the room, and they're going to take it to a committee. They're going to try to persuade their boss. Nobody can sell. Nobody can persuade like you, period. And they're going to take your one-hour presentation and, and say it in two minutes and get a yes or a no, probably get a no, not be able to answer the question. So be very, very careful with this one. Nobody can sell or persuade like you. Somehow you need to be in the room and do that presentation, be there to answer the questions. Best case scenario. Not always possible when there's a committee. Well, then you need to prep that person, that third party to persuade for you to have frequently asked questions, to have what they need to give the presentation so they're not taking your 60 minute and put it into two minutes, or be ready on the phone if there's questions that they can't answer. Whatever you need to do, try to get yourself in that situation. So 100% fact on that one. <laughs> Next one, I've talked a lot about this before, using underhanded closing tricks. <laughs> okay. I've always said it, closing skills is like trying to get a kiss after a bad date. <laughs> If they don't like you, they don't trust you, using the old school cheesy closing tactics or tricks, they're going to see right through it. Your customer, your consumer, your prospect is smarter than ever. So you have to be very, very careful. And reality is, let me add, you shouldn't have to use a closing technique. When you've done everything right, maybe one question at the end. I mean, there's a time and place for a closing technique, but hopefully they've closed themselves and you get, how do I get started? What's the next step? Where do we go from here? They've closed themselves. I mean, that's your goal. You shouldn't even have to touch the toolbox of closing skills. Get them to close themselves. Get them to ask you, how do I get started here? Can we get it next week? What is your interest rate on that? Those type of things. They've closed themselves. That is your goal. So with this one, I agree. It's a fact. And I think fewer and few people are using them. But let me add, the big key to this is help them close themselves. The next one is waiting too long to address questions and objections. I hesitate. I mean, maybe. I mean, with the discovery phase, hopefully you found out exactly what the questions you need to ask and the objections. Again, the hesitation is some objections are knee-jerk and you really don't want to address all the questions and objections all the time. But again, when they do have an objection, their brain hits a brick wall, they don't move on. You probably need to address it or let them know you're going to address it later. Or maybe not even address it at all if it's a knee-jerk reaction, finding out it's a true objection. You see, what I have found through my research is too many times we solve the wrong objection. Because you want to address that knee-jerk objection. If it's not real, they're just saying it to get rid of you. You need to circle back and find out what's really going on. Is it a lack of trust? Maybe they don't see the benefits. Maybe there's nothing in it for them. But let me also add, too, great persuaders don't even wait. When they know an objection is coming up, they pre-solve it. So I'm in the middle on this one. Pre-solving objections is the key. When you know the 95% accuracy is coming up, you want to pre-solve it. You don't even want to wait. So there is some overlap there to be able to do it. But some objections and questions, 
you might want to put off. How much is it? Well, you got to build the value a lot of times before you answer that question. Next one, closing too early. Well, that could always be a challenge if they're not ready. I mean, you want to do trial closes throughout, so depends on how you define that. I think the the cheesy part here is when you write a car lot and what do I got to do to get you in this car today? That would be closing too early. <laughs> that would be an improper use of what's called a pre. That would be the improper use of a close. And so it depends how you do it, how you define it, how you see it. You do want to try a close throughout just to take their temperature to see where they're at. Next one, talking too much. I harp on this one all the time, 100% fact, vomiting, talking too much, not asking right questions, not being a great listener, pretending to listen, not listening with your ears, your eyes, and your heart, all things that I agree, you are talking way too much. Next one, trying to make closing easy for the prospect. It says, representatives often believe closing needs to be easy for the prospect, but that's a sales mistake you want to avoid. By definition, closing requires a salesperson to put the prospect in a mild state of discomfort. I guess you have to define it. I'm, I'm leaning to fiction here. I mean, I'm okay with a little discomfort, what's called cognitive dissonance. Sometimes even a little fear could work. I mean, those are both the abused and overused where you, I call it stretching the rubber band a little too far. There's a, a mild state of discomfort. That's an important word there. But study after study does show the easier you make the close, the prospect understands it. Because when the prospect's brain's overwhelmed, it shuts down. When it's confused, it shuts down. Because even on a website, the more things you ask people to do, the few people are going to do it. Every signature, every piece, or everything you're asking them to do, every time you ask and add another one of those, closing rates go down. Every time on the internet, face-to-face, it doesn't matter. That is definitely the challenge. So you do want to make the close easy. I'm okay with the discomfort part, and that's abused and overused. So careful with this one. Fiction, you want to make that decision as easy as possible for them to go to the next step. If there's too many steps, it's too complicated, they don't understand it, they don't get it, they don't know what to do next, that's going to hurt your close rates. So Leonard, great information here. I'd say I'm a 95% approval. There's a few things. Some of it's definition. Some of it's the complexity of the sale. Some of it depends on the salespeople. Some are doing way too much of something or way too little. This is true. Let me add one to this too is as we go forward, depending on Zoom or, or these video conference calls, Sure, it's quick, fast, and easy. Is that the new normal? I was complaining about it earlier. Training HR professionals, they're making a lot more mistakes hiring some of the wrong people because they're finding out they're doing all their interviews via Zoom. You really don't get to know the people unless you're sitting down face-to-face, looking in their eyes, feeling their energy, looking at their whole body. That makes a difference. So the first couple of interviews, fine, do that via Zoom. But finally, you need to see the person face-to-face, even in sales. If you're dealing with a high-end, very expensive maybe even an investment type product, eventually you need to go face to face. The studies are clear. Using Zoom to start a relationship is very difficult. You just can't make that connection the same way you can face to face. I mean, you can get it started, but depending on the complexity of your sale, you got to think through, do I start with Zoom and lead up to face to face, go straight to face to face? Is it cost effective? Just saying, you can get a lot more done face to face with the relationship, building the trust the connection, especially for the higher end, more complex sales. Just say, I'm going to add that, put it out there. I'm really concerned about that, whether it be training or sales or just business in general, but it stifles creativity. It's harder to connect, but again, it is cost effective and there's a time and place for it, but I just don't want you to rely on it hundred percent of the time, especially if you're dealing with a higher end complex sale. So there you have it, Leonard. 
I'll send you out your free gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com. Everybody else, think about these blunders, these mistakes. Which one has your name on it? You need to improve? Which one is it? Take one of them, consciously change it, apply it, make the change, improve that skill, and it'll make a huge difference in your success. So let's do the special of the week. It's 111 sales hacks. There's more than 111, but it's just a three, four minute video you could watch weekly, daily. You can go as fast or slow as you want. It's pretty simple. Here's the tool. Here's the science behind it. This is how you do it. Getting more tools in your toolbox. It's in beta and 90% discount. Check out the link at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But please go out, master these skills, become more influential, become a better salesperson, become a better negotiator, and go out and persuade with power.